everybody. Welcome to Bone to Pick. I am Michael Davis, and we are coming to you today from Euphoria Studios in Manhattan. And we are very, very fortunate, and indeed, I would say it's my honor to have the opportunity to sit down with one of the preeminent bass trombone players anywhere in the world today. And for my money, uh, I, I would have to call him the greatest orchestral bass trombone player in the history of the instrument, the great Charlie Vernon. Um, in 1986, he followed Ed Kleinhammer, uh, the legendary Ed Kleinhammer, and was appointed uh, bass trombone of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, a position he still holds. Previous to that, he was in the Philadelphia Orchestra for five years, the San Francisco Symphony for a year, and almost a decade with the Baltimore Symphony. He is an internationally acclaimed soloist on bass trombone, tenor trombone, and alto trombone. Uh, he's a world-renowned teacher and educator. Uh, he's currently the professor of trombone at DePaul University in Chicago. And uh, I'm honored also that he was willing to play on a, a project I did many years ago called Brass Nation, and his playing was uh, an absolute standout on the record. Um, and he is also an avid swimmer and member of the Evanston Master Swim Team, uh, the great Charlie Vernon. Charlie, thank you so much for being with us today. I know you just finished a rehearsal. You ran down here and you're running back to Carnegie Hall tonight. So thanks so much for taking well, the time. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't know how to respond to all that, those accolades. It's, uh, it's, no, it's great to be here. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I remember that, that record fondly. You know, it was, it was all, the, all these different brass ensembles and all of a sudden the Chicago Symphony. It was a, it was a different you know, I, it was strange. Not that it was bad or anything like that, but it was uh, It was just we're not accustomed to playing necessarily in a studio like that. Right, so right. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing was experience for amazing. me to work with you guys, needless to say. But, uh, well, um, let, why don't we start, you know, a sure. little bit at the beginning, and mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're growing up in Asheville, North mm -hmm. Carolina, mm -hmm. and also I was curious to, you know, what, what made you gravitate to the trombone in those early years? Well, the... Early, uh, my earliest recollection to this is um, uh, I came home in the seventh grade. Uh, we lived about, I don't know, five, six miles from school, from a school. And, uh, and I walked home with a tenor drum without the drum, without the, um, the pad or the thing, the guard, the guard, mm -hmm. the drum guard, mm -hmm. walked there beating the drum the whole way. By the time I got home, my leg was just kind of bruised and bleeding and stuff. And my mother saw this, and she said, take that back. You know, <laughs> God, what, you know. And I, I said, okay, you know, so I took it back. I don't know how I got it back the next day. It's funny how you remember certain things and don't remember most everything else. <laughs> so I went back, and uh, I will, uh, uh, the band director said, well, let's see what we got. And I'll never forget this. Uh, he he took me in the back of a room, and it was this brown case. Now maybe it was at one time a black case, or maybe a green case or something. <laughs> okay. But it was brown. And I opened it up, and it, you remember those olds uh, trombones, little little trombones, olds with it had the green felt. I think the felt was still green. And there was this brown trombone in there. Okay. You know, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bright and lost a little of its luster. Yeah. And I remember my first reaction was, shit, I know what that is. I mean, I knew what the instrument was. And I it's like it's like I'd seen it in bands and I wow. And I just this this click of, whoa, I know what that is. And, you know, then it was that just what is that's the way it started, and uh, then I went back home and 
stood out or sat out on the on the front little porch hill and just playing away. I've got lots of pictures of me when I was 12 years old, and one of them is in my book. Me going like this, and you know, all the way out and playing this 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 thing. I don't know. I I, I went from that, and then I got a King 3B with an F attachment. That was my first real horn. It's great horn. I don't know if they make it anymore or something like that, but it, it was a great horn. So mm-hmm. that's the way it started. And I'll have to say that um, every band rehearsal, every one of them that I ever remember, I was so excited all day long to get ready to go play. And while it was over, I just had so much fun playing. And then the con- then the bra- then the section was over. And then the, the uh, you know the class was over. And then I had to you know go do other things. You know whatever I was on the swim <laughs> team and stuff. You know so. But I just remember that the excitement of of how much fun it was to play, and just wow, you know. So it started like that, and and you know, through high school, I played lead and all the and everything, and the big bands and stuff. It was so much fun, and and I knew immediately I didn't know where I was going to do it. I didn't know what I was going to do, whether I was going to play, be a band director or play in a jazz band or play or in an orchestra. I didn't even know much about orchestras at that time. and uh, But I knew positively without any question in my mind that the trombone was going to be what I was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. It was not even a thought. You know, it was like, you know, you're just so passionate about it. It didn't matter what anything else was. So... That's the one great thing that I'm I'm fortunate in my uh, my sons have passions like that as well and it's fantastic because if you don't have a passion you, you go through life just trying to find yourself and it's a, it's a real sad sad state anyhow I'm I had yeah, this passion it's, that's great you know, and, I mean, you know, and you still hate the great thing is I hear you play today it's like the same level of passion I mean you still no, it like, bring it all the time it's, yeah, it's great I, I mean it's just tough when you get old like this you know <clears throat> uh, air is not it sucks you know <laughs> air is not as good you run out of air have to, <clears throat> you know your your lungs instead of being real flexible and stuff they're like this you know <laughs> trying to get them to get more air in there and uh, that and the muscles like the tonguing muscles I'm 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 the king of double tongue you know because I have to do it all the time on things that you would not even people wouldn't even dream of doing it mm. and Gene has he got even slower tongue than I do <laughs> so we're going da I can't you know I I wouldn't trust myself to go unless I really you know so that's one of the things that really sucks about getting older, <laughs> is you had no air and you and your tongue doesn't move. That's one of the few things, but it has to do with it. It's a lot. But uh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you and Gene are still the best in the business. Well, so, it's, uh, it's you, you pretty may be unbelievable. Older, but it's still tonight working, right? is it tonight? Oh my God! Tonight is a huge Scriabin thing. This piece starts off with us going. Ba-da-da-dee-ah, and have to play that. At least fifteen times in the wow. piece, really, to- with the basses, cellos, contrabassoon, and and us, and it's just it's a constant 
some people call it a tapeworm. I like it better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, wow. it's great. That's, it's great. That's so, awesome. I wish I could so, hear that. Well, let's. So let's, I, I, sorry, I did. I, no, not at all. That was great. Um, um, let's talk. You've had you've had a lot of uh, important mentors and, and teachers in your yeah, career yeah. and in life. I know you went to Georgia State, but maybe you could talk. You know, some just some of the standouts. Of course, the late great Arnold Jacobs. I know was a major impact on you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You could talk about talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, well, uh, at Georgia State University, I studied with Will, William Hill, who was a great teacher, and he would not let me play anything but Arbans and Bordonian. Mm. I wanted to play all these Pichiru, all these <laughs> really hard things. Uh, and see, I, did, I was still, I played the tenor trombone for a long time before I switched to the bass trombone. So in that period of time, he was great. Gail Wilson was my teacher in the summertime who played in the Phoenix Symphony. He still, he retired from Arizona State. And then I went to Chicago and it just started all, you know, in 1969. Harry Maddox, my old friend who played first trombone in the Atlanta Symphony, and I drove up in our Volkswagen Bug and had lessons for the first time with Arnold Jacobs. And that six months later came up again and had lessons with him and Ed Kleinhandler. Mm-hmm. And that just started, you know, that that was the, the real uh, impetus for... Uh, really getting my act together you know Jake you couldn't play anything in a lesson with him that he didn't catch and that he didn't really he didn't how can I put this you couldn't get away with anything every note that you played he could tell if you were playing or if you were just playing you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah he could tell immediately if somebody's passionate and totally into what they're doing and, you know, he would always say, what are you thinking? You know, you've got to be thinking about the greatest sound in the world on the trombone while you're playing. You know, what would the greatest player in the world like sound like, you know? Mm-hmm. And he would mention, you know, all these, these, these people, you know. Tommy Dorsey was always a big, a big fan. He always loved that, that, uh, that name. And, um, you know, he just would, he said, when you're, when you're playing, while you're playing, you have to imagine that sound that you want in your head at the split second that you produce that sound and flood your brain with that sound. I was 21 years old when he was telling me this, and I was like, uh, what is he talking about? <laughs> Duh. Such a dummy, you know. I mean, it would go, I mean, I, underst- I understood the words, but they didn't quite, uh, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get it. So it took me a year after that to where I finally figured out that, oh, wait a minute. You think about the sound that you want and you produce that sound and sing that sound while you're playing. Oh, see, I thought he meant, stupid, that you're sitting around thinking about, oh, what a great sound. I take a breath, boom, (laughs) like it's going to just appear. Didn't work that way. Anyhow. He was great. He was a, he was a, the nicest man and just a great musician and uh, just was uh, so inspiring to get me to think about playing great on every note that I played and taking a full breath, whether I needed it or not, and get the breathing apparatus of, of the playing 
and Buzz in the Mouthpiece and all these basic fundamental things that that I do to this day and um I I um I'm on, I'm on my students' butts mm-hmm. all the time about it. Yeah. yeah. They sit in front of me, and we play back and forth, you know, and buzz the mouthpiece and the whole thing. So so Jake was incredible and Ed was the most uh uh supportive and wonderful human being that I think I've ever really known. Mm. You know, I mean that guy was just the salt of the earth. And he lived to be 93 years old. I think he's 93. And uh, just great. And his, his, just his work ethic was unmatched. Um, you know, he just, he, one time in a lesson, you know, we had a lesson, I, we had many lessons, and we used to play duets a lot. Uh, I remember one time going in a lesson with him, and we had these we had these cutaway mouthpieces that you put in the trombone, and it just has the rim buzzing, and you you, know, you move the slide, and to go along with it. And I went in one one lesson. I said, Ed, do you mind if we uh, just warm up playing? Because yeah, I was stiff, and he said, Oh no! So he pulls his out, and we sat there for twenty minutes playing a rim, you know, <laughs> you know and moving the slide. And he was that kind of guy that he, then he would say, uh, as he left, I have to go I have to go home now, but uh, you can stay in the studio as long as you want, but why don't you work on B major for the next few hours? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like arpeggios, scales, just sound on those notes. And uh, anyhow, his he worked harder on the trombone uh, than anybody I have ever known. And it was like... A, I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, if I if I practiced as diligently and worked at, at the time periods he worked, he'd get up at five thirty in the morning and he'd practice. Wow. You know, if I did treated it like that, I'd be better than I am hmm. for sure. Probably true for all of us. You know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a high level of uh, dedication. <laughs> yeah, <then>. very high. <laughs> but he was great, sweetest sweetheart, just a wonderful, and and he was the guy. That set the standard for the, for the bass trombone, orchestral bass trombone sound. Absolutely, there was nobody even close. And he and Jake, all we've done, Gene and I, are just trying to carry on a tradition, you know. And well, it's yeah. the tradition. It's definitely the thing. But it's hard, you know. And, and I look at those guys. See, when I was studying with them, they were not as not as... Not as old as I am now. That's ridiculous. You know, I remember <laughs> I look at pictures of those guys in my book. I have two pi- pictures of the, them, and I'm looking at them, and it's like, uh, shit. He's about 40 or 45 there, and I remember him, or 50 maybe, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what an old fart. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and now I look at it. Sometimes I put there, there's, a, there's a picture of it in there that where they're both standing there at Ravinia, Jake's got his tuba and Ed's sitting there with a bass trombone and they both have this kind of smirk on their face, you know, and I look at that while I'm playing uh, a little Arbenz thing and I'm thinking what he's thinking. Oh, come on, man, you suck. Play better than that. Oh, come on, what was that? You know. <laughs> so I use the pictures and I remind uh, uh, of, of of that to inspire me sometimes. But anyhow, those two guys are just the my mentors, my teachers. Um, 
extraordinary. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, thanks for sharing all that. <laughs> um, well, the birth of one of the great orchestral brass careers uh, began uh, in uh, 1971 when uh -huh. you joined the uh, Baltimore Symphony. Oh, you yeah. talk about your uh, your time in Baltimore and uh, and what that was like, and maybe what the the, the feelings you had getting that first win. Uh, okay, first uh, let's see. Uh, um, I gotta say this. Uh, the uh, what kind of editing power do you? Have? <laughs> no, no. I'll just say it. You know, twenty-one. Uh, I was twenty-three years old when I got that job, and you know, my first thought was, "Wow, I can own a set of tails." <laughs> you know, I'm the bass drummer player in the in the Baltimore Symphony. Holy shit! You know, I was so excited because I'd been playing the Atlanta Symphony, just extra freelancing and. And I would hear people in the Atlanta Symphony, this is funny. Now, I mean, it's funny. Uh, it's just life. But you, you, you'd go to and be an extra guy playing, and, and, and let's say a bass clarinet player or something was sitting around complaining about this, that, and the other. And I looked at him once and said, what are you doing? Why <laughs> are you complaining about anything? You've got this great job. I just unloaded on him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But no, so I was I was deliriously happy playing um, playing down there. But when I got the job, it was uh, you know it's so funny. And and the, <laughs> the personnel manager, you know, go in. I'm a kid, and he said, "Well, uh, we're we're prepared to offer you." Uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, Twenty five dollars over scale. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't say it. I'll play for free, but it was like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, that's great. You know. <laughs> Stupid, you know those things. When you're young, you don't know anything. Uh, but no, it was great. Um, you know the section around. Dave Fetter was there. He was really, uh, really experienced and a really nice guy, great guy. And then you know uh, uh, the second was really. They're all we're all nice people, you know. And just but I was this kid that was just fresh out of uh, college and just hell bent on on playing. The way that I had been taught to play, and and uh, over a period of, of two or three years, section changed a little bit. Uh, um, Jim Olin got in there on second trombone, and mm -hmm. Dan Brown became the tuba player. It was really pretty damn good for a long time, and um, you know we just played a lot of things, and I kind of grew up there. Mm -hmm. All my, you know, I was married. I was kind of married there when I went there, and that didn't make it. Uh, and then I got married again while I was there, and that didn't make it. So I got married again right after I left, and then that's my third and last wife, and the fact that she puts up with me at all is, <laughs> is pretty amazing. We've been together for 33 years. So oh, That's great. But but those those, those days were fantastic, uh, you know, uh, just playing for the first time so many pieces of music that, you know, you, you, that you've heard all your life and... Uh, and it was great, you know. Uh, I'm I'm surprised I have any brain cells left after after those years. But I tell you, it was so much fun. I had so much fun, and but you know, this is something that that's important. It, in that uh, all those years that I was there, you know, practicing, and uh, in the especially in the mid '70s when I developed like '73, '74, '75, '76 in there, uh, I started um, people in the um, in the United States or whatever, the ITA was was one of the, was becoming 
a, a kind of a important thing. And mm-hmm. and me and John Marcellus and John Mellick actually started the a couple other guys started the ETW back right. in, in Towson. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, so the, that that hooked on, and I I developed. I was really playing really well uh, and playing a lot of solos and really becoming uh, my own player. And uh, so I, I, I was a, I would go to these conventions and it was a really big deal for everybody. And it was a big deal for me too. I had a great time playing. Uh, and in the Baltimore Symphony, we were playing great concerts. It was a great orchestra. It is a great orchestra. But all that time during during those years in the Baltimore Symphony, all I could think about, Philadelphia Orchestra or Chicago Symphony or or something over there, mm-hmm. instead of being in the present moment mm-hmm. where you are. Yeah, you know, when you're young, you don't know that, and even when you're old, <laughs> you don't know that. You know, it's. Uh, it's a great. It's a great piece of advice. I mean, try to live oh, in the moment because that's, that's all we really have. You know, I mean, it's, exactly. it's likely that we're going to have more, but you, you know, it's yeah, like we can it's only all, hope. It's only uh, in the moment. But. You're right. You're right. That's that's an incredible thing. So that I wish there was some way in my life that at that time when I was healthier and younger and had better lungs and all kinds of things that I could have done, and I wish I'd have done a lot of things. You know, of course. I want a do-over. Is that possible <laughs> to get a do-over? I want to start over again and go back with what I know now. And man, look out! <laughs> I mean, I, I would I'd be a tenth degree don in taekwondo by then. I, I, you know, all kinds of shit with him. Well, I'm not sure if you did it over, you'd be any better at the bass trombone. I'll tell you, I don't that's know. About as good as it gets. No, no. Well, I actually, uh, I think the first time I, I got to meet you, and I was a student at Eastman and a student of, yes, uh, of, of yes. Doc's, and uh, he brought you in, and uh, and I know we, we started following your career pretty uh, intently at that point. Yeah. Uh, the late, great Steve Witzer and I were uh, oh, at the yeah, same yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 played yeah. in a quartet together, and we would always say, what, what's Charlie up to? And then you won the job in San Francisco. And uh, I remember us all hearing that you got Philly one year later. We were like, oh, he's only going to be in San Francisco for a year. So it was, maybe you could talk a little bit about about that year in San Francisco. And then, and then of course, your time in Philly mm-hmm. was so uh, perhaps one of the, I mean, if not the best, it's certainly in the top few trombone sections oh, of all time with oh, the late, great Glenn Dotson Glenn. and, of course, Joe Alessi, probably yeah. the pre, preeminent orchestral trombone mm-hmm. player anywhere, mm-hmm. anytime. Um, but anyway, if you could talk about that as well as the as yeah. time in San Francisco. Yeah, that was that was a hell of a time of my life in that I, uh, I I left the Baltimore Symphony and it was like wow I got this job and it's in San Francisco California holy cow and you know so that was just a new thing you're going out there in a new hall new conductor uh, a great orchestra maybe better than what I was playing in but different you know just different not so much better but just different and. Uh, but the situation, whenever you're in another orchestra like that, that that, that, the, that there's more money, and all the things that go along with that, you know, it, you know, people play a little bit better. I don't know how to describe it. It's just a little bit more um, world class kind of thing. Anyhow, I had a great time. Uh, lived in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. It was just on. Uh, oh, it was a wonderful time, and had made great friends. My oldest friend is Glenn Fishtall, trumpet player. Mm-hmm. We had we played golf and 
Oh my gosh, I'm surprised I can see still. <laughs> but he and I were were always together, and he's just was the most laid back and cool guy. And it was him, me, Mark Lawrence, and Floyd Cooley mm-hmm. were were a real tight uh, knit uh, team there, and um, we were all within six months of each other the same age. Mm-hmm. And that has something to do with it. I think I was 32. or something. I forget the age, but we were all the same age and, and all um, were going after the same thing and, and everything. And and it was great. It, I had a great time. And Ado DeVart was damn good. Um, and he still is. I like him a lot. And um, So we had a good um, good section, really good section, uh, really good brass section. There were more. It was more mm, controlled. Everybody was, you know, trying, you know, trying to make sure that it was exactly right and everything. And that's okay. I came from another place in that, you know, it was, you know, <laughs> you know I don't have to describe it, but it, it's funny. And then, then, then I got the then audition February third. I remember Mason Jones. Um, one player and personnel manager sent me a little card. What is it? A five, four by six card, just a flat piece of paper with my name and address on, on the other side. It says February 3rd, 10 o'clock. That's all of us. <laughs> and so, okay. I, I had written, of course, before then. So I got, I was invited to the Philadelphia Orchestra based on bone audition. <clears throat> and I made the finals I think it's hard to remember. That's what I mean. It's short term, whatever the memory of that. But um, I made the finals, and the next thing I knew, I was on, walking down the stage, and Muti was right out there in front of us, and Cat Rabic, and all these guys. And I played, and um, um, you know, Bach Cello Suite has been one of the. Uh, you know, all the Bach cello suites, but the, the Sarabon has always been a big solo for uh, trombone players to play. And uh, I remember in the San Francisco Symphony, I got the job, and I played I played it as it's written. And on Philadelphia Orchestra, I played in tenor clef down an octave, which to me, starting on a D, B flat, G flat, uh, you know, to me was it's just so easy I can't even describe the feel of the, just – Playing the other one, it's it's easy, but but you know you're going in that middle upper register, you know mid register is 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 probably the hardest register on trombone. But anyhow, uh, that's another story. Uh, <clears throat> played this thing and it was like I, I thought, okay, I've got to find something to play that's going to make me feel really comfortable and just get me warmed up. And it was perfect, mm. you know, it was perfect for that. And, you know, after a while, I remember Cataract saying to me, um, why are you leaving San Francisco, you know, which is a normal thing. And I look back in my life, I'm thinking, well, why did I do that? <laughs> but I, I looked at him and I said, this is the Philadelphia Orchestra, <laughs> you know. And, you know, so that, that, made, that made a little impression, a good impression, I think. But I got that job, and then because um, I knew Glenn was there, and I had been listening to recordings of, of course, he's always been a favorite of mine, and I always were <clears throat> at these trombone conventions. We were together and stuff like that. But then I got that job, and then I heard about this kid and Curtis who got a job 
playing second trombone there, you know. And so uh, <laughs> we played. We got there and played in Muti. It was, so it was, it was Ricardo Muti. Holy shit. <laughs> Glenn Dodson. Wow. And his kid on second trombone. And a really good tuba player. But the trombones, it was, it was amazing. And let's see. Well, uh, oh, Dick Woodham's. Principal uh, Oboe. I, I would just listen around and I, I would hear all these things. And this was, Ormandy was the first person I ever played with, actually. He, he started off. But I was blown away by, by the difference of the way that we played in San Francisco as the way they played in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was, it was rank abandon. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was it? Klein Hammer's thing was, uh, yeah. Uh, a rank? A ban- no, it's, I forget the name of it. It's abandoned, but controlled abandoned. What, what's that? What, oh, it, oh, oh. what, what is that hmm. called? Um, I don't know what that is. Controlled abandoned. Uh, anyhow, it was like with, with control of the sound and stuff like that. But that was, you know. And, and, and Joe, <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> See, he was 18 or 19 years old. And Glenn and I used to hammer him all the time. Give him shit right and left, you know. Especially Glenn, you know. And he he called himself, I forget how the terminology, but he's the sponge. You just accept shit between the two of us, older guy and an older guy, and then this kid in the middle, you know. So, uh, but it was great. Uh, We we had a lot of fun. We sang in a barbershop quartet, and we played in a barbershop quartet. So Roger Blackburn played. Trumpet and and soprano trombone, some. Glenn and Roger sang the lead. <clears throat> Glenn played the the lead part and sang the bass. Joe played and sang the ba- the baritone part, and I played the bottom part and sang the very top part. Mm. And you know it was pretty atrocious. My <laughs> wife used to just couldn't believe how we'd gar you know the art. <laughs> Singers, you know, they don't do that kind of stuff. But we, none of us were singers. Roger did a good job, though. But we had a great time. Um, I was fortunate to have Joe as a uh, bone to pick <laughs> guest for one month, and he uh, had equally fond memories of the uh, barbershop <laughs> quartet. <laughs> we had a great time. It was, you know, it was a great time. And, you know, I've got their videos of it, and there's tapes of it and stuff that were just a lot of fun. So... But uh, but playing in that section and playing in that orchestra with Muti, he would just he'd look back there and just yeah, you know this excitement of of what he wanted and uh, rank abandon. I said that already. Shit, <laughs> Aba- uh, controlled abandon. Controlled that's abandon. It. Controlled okay, okay. abandon. And that's what Kleinhammer always used to talk about. And that's the way we played in Philadelphia Orchestra. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like. You know, and then Chicago was different. It's a different kind of controlled abandon, but at any rate. But Philadelphia, well, that was uh, five years of, of still growing, you know, still young, kind of a young kid, kind of. I was 30-something, 30, 33, something like that. But that was a great time, great time in my life, and um, became really close friends with a lot of those people. And then I just had to... You know, when Klein Hammer retired, it was just, I, I had to do it. Mm. I had to try. Yeah. You know? And I was, I was not 
you know, there was no special treatment. I had to go through preliminaries and all the same thing. The only good thing about that was that the preliminary was on the day before or something like that of the finals. So, so they, you know, when somebody has a big job, they, they kind of let you, but you still have to play behind the screen and go through the stuff. And I got in and then got the job. Holy cow. But um, Muti didn't like that. <laughs> and we have. Well, it's, it's, we were talking before the interview about your relationship with Muti, and and uh, and it's a perfect segue into yeah, yeah, yeah. now. But uh, but let's talk about about Chicago. Your time mm-hmm. there, obviously, following Ed Kleinhammer, must have been an unbelievable thrill for you. And and also, of course, I mean, all due respect to all the great brass sections uh, in oh, yeah. all the orchestras of the world, but certainly Chicago has to be considered, if not the greatest, in the handful of the greatest brass sections ever. But it must have been a thrill to be playing with Bud Herseth and and all the great players that oh, you yeah. to play with uh, there. But um, anyway, talk talk okay. to us about Chicago Symphony uh, and uh, also about about your relationship. Let me get with into that a little bit. So so when I got the job and and it was so funny we were doing in Philadelphia. All this stuff and I was playing the fourth trombone part, um, which it should be on a trombone of some sort. <laughs> Instead of this stupid chimbasa, okay, but that's another story. Okay, he and I are having a little tussle with that right now. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember doing this on just the bass trombone, and uh, rehearsal was over, and he looked back at me, and he went, "I know." I I think he said, "I know," and then he walked off, you know, and. He knew that I was going to Chicago the next day to 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 uh, um, to audition, and he we had talked about it, and I had told him I said, you know, Maestro has nothing to do with you. Uh, this is just something I have to do. I have to try. You know, not, probably not going to get it, but I have to try. Mm-hmm. You know. And then I went and I got it. Holy cow! What a miracle that is. <laughs> it's predestined. I'm convinced of that. That it's all. Um, it's a force of destiny, kind of like it is with he being in the Chicago Symphony's music director. But anyhow, so I got it, and then we went through Chicago Symphony, Philadelphia Orchestra, Chicago Symphony, you know, negotiating, mm. you know. Philadelphia <laughs> Orchestra, Chicago Symphony wouldn't budge at a certain point. But I knew that there was a certain point where I knew, and, and all those meetings we had, I must have had, a dozen things with Muti, trying uh, him trying to talk me out of doing it, you know. Uh, and it was always, but I, you know, it's you know, it's hard, anyhow, it's hard to explain. But we became where I could talk to him as a human being, and we became uh, acquaintances, friends over over those four or five years. Uh, and where where um, he liked me a lot, and I loved him, and it was just a, a really good relationship. And when I left, he was I probably he was hurt a little bit, but uh, he did understand. I hope <laughs> he won't admit it. He will not to this day admit that I I said Maestro, if I'd have stayed there. I would still be there. I'm not sure if you would be here. 
It's just the force of destiny. I want to get, so I have some things I I can say about that. And he just sits and, you know, but I I think he's, he's, he, the last time we talked about it, you know, he said, I know, or something like that. So (laughs) it's okay. But we, uh, so I made the break, did an awful move um, going from Collingswood, New Jersey, living on the high speed line, cost of living, nothing, hardly, easy life, never having to drive, wonderful, great orchestra, just easy life to exactly the opposite of that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, having to drive all the time, you know, I had to, you know, to, to get a house was really expensive, you know, it's like, it's like living here, maybe it's not as bad as this is, I'm sure it's not as bad as this is, but going from a place like that to, uh, to, um, to Chicago with the life part of it was really difficult. Went there with, um, my wife was pregnant with my first, with our first son and, and, you know, she didn't want to leave to begin with. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had, <laughs> I had many years of, of, <laughs> of accepting shit uh-huh. for, for the, for the mistake that I made of leaving. Right. <laughs> so, so anyhow, so all that went on and on and on. And, and Muti, um, you know, we stayed in touch over the years and, you know, I would write him every now and then and I'd see him every now and then. It was great, you know. Charlie, you know, it was just great every time. And finally when Baron Boehm um, um, uh, was leaving, you know, um, I thought, of course, my I'll have to say this, especially this is going to be a, where anybody can actually see this, but um, my wife came up with all the ideas. <laughs> That's the, she right, did. that's the right answer, Charlie. I like that. She did. She had. She is the idea person. I swear she should be queen of something because she has the ideas, and she makes them, puts them into action, and then instructs people to do these things. And I just did everything she said. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, you need to write him. You need to stay in touch with him. You know, especially about this this upcoming thing. And, and at any rate, it boiled down to um, to the committee, which I was not on, uh, the, the uh, search committee. I was mm-hmm. not on that. Um, and all these people had this list of all these conductors. You know, I mean, three or four pages of list. And I went to the president and I said, you've got to be kidding me. There's one person on here. You should throw away everything else. There's only one person here that should be playing, should be leading this orchestra. And they all listened to me a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll try, you know. And so I thought to myself, forget this. I'm going in the back door. And so I proceeded to um, really try to court him and, you know, just these little things. And then after a while, he finally came and, and conducted us and... Um, uh, the orchestra fell in love with him, you know, and I was thinking, well, you know, they should, you know, <laughs> that was not a surprise to me, and everybody was going, wow, he's great, and I said, no shit, he's great, <laughs> you know, anyhow, so that boiled, that boiled into, I had people, I, I, offer, I, I told people to write letters 
give them to me, write letters. We'll send them letters after the tour about what you thought about, you know, because they're always saying, God, he was great. And I said, yes, he was great. Write it in writing. Mm-hmm. So I collected all these letters from 80 or 90 people, and I had a big poster made up of, said, La Forza del Destino, picture of him, Chicago Symphony, you know what I mean? A big thing, <laughs> and all kinds of other cards and things that, that I would send with <clears throat> having the orchestra sign the card to get well card and, and putting a little space up at the top that, that I said, well, there's going to be a get well card there. And so nobody signed it, so I had a picture. <laughs> Somebody took a picture of the empty, empty podium. And see, if I'd have put this up there, they wouldn't have signed it. Right, right, you know? right. Empty podium, and I wrote, waiting for you. <laughs> and everybody signed it. <laughs> wow, what a great Nobody story. knew that. Nobody knew that. And they would, they, all these union guys would, oh, we can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I didn't care what anybody thought because this this was important. This went over, this was the most important thing, is to get this person on the stage and give him a chance for him to decide if he wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. So those letters, all the extra stuff, turned him to the Chicago Symphony, and then they negotiated for, I don't know, six months or five months or something, all these, uh, the lawyers on each side, and my wife, and I, you know, I... He didn't, let's see, I can know about this. I, I text him a lot, you know, and he's actually can text back. It's amazing. He does it every now and then. <laughs> he's got one of those phones like 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 you have, you know, A-A-A-B-B. <laughs> and so, so uh, but I, I, there was a point there where I was, you know, just texting him and sometimes we'd call. After about four or five texts, he would call me, which was great. And, you know, just talk about different things because I always wanted him to know, what was going on here? What, what, from what, what he should be aware of? Right. Just general helping him in that way. Not, not a bad, not a negative thing, but just because I wanted him here. I didn't care what it took to get that to happen. Then all of a sudden there was silence, and I kept saying, "Allison, you know, I just want to text him. No, no, don't text him. Don't text him. There's something going on." And she convinced me not to communicate for a few months with him. And the next thing I knew, I get a call from the president of the orchestra that said, uh, um, Charlie, you might want to come down on Monday afternoon. And my first thought was, Monday? That's our day off. I don't want to go down. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then right after that, they sent a message to the entire orchestra email or something for everybody to come down on Monday. And uh, Allison said, there's something up. So I, I, I'll never forget walking downstairs. John, the, the personnel manager, John Deverman, he saw me walking by and he turned his computer screen around and said, Ricardo Muti is named new music director of Chicago mm. Symphony. <laughs> and I just sat down and cried like a baby wow. right at that, at that moment in time because it was like, oh, thank you, God. Because it was the it was the epitome of, you know, of, of a lot of work and all that kind of stuff. But just like, oh, finally, you know, these people don't really know yet how great he really is, and you know, he's coming back. You know, so it was the greatest thing musically that that I've ever experienced. You know, and then I, I yeah, then I talked to him after that. It was it was 
What a great story. That's te- you're absolutely right. Talking about destiny. That was yeah. Like, well, and and the force of your the will. Force, <laughs> you like yeah, I, it was, single-handedly. You had to. Uh, yeah, but somebody had to do something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, it impressed me when you walked in today. It was great to see you after so many years. But you know, I have a lot, lots and lots of buddies who uh, play in orchestras. You know, most of the time they're not totally thrilled with the conductor. I would have to maybe most is a little exaggerated, but but more than half the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you came in and we're talking about tonight's concert at Carnegie Hall and just glowing about Mootsy and how what an incredible time this is for the Mm -hmm. orchestra and and, uh, so what what an amazing, uh, great story. It's phenomenal, Charlie. I just want to shift gears a little bit. Mm. Um, One of the things that's always impressed me about you, in in addition to your incredible virtuosity and your orchestral playing, is your solo career. And you've always been very open to all kinds of music, which I think the passion you have for music extends well beyond Mm -hmm. orchestral music. And in fact, uh, when Kent and I were touring with the Stones, um, Charlie and and Gene Picorni, the incredible tuba player of the Chicago Symphony, came to the concert. And... uh, and I remember how uh, how excited you guys were, and I talked to you the next day, and you oh, said, yeah. "If you ever sub out, I want that gig." You know, <laughs> yeah. But uh, as it, and of course, that's one of those types of gigs you don't sub out. No, but uh, no, no. <laughs> but that said, it it struck me as very consistent with what I thought of you already. Is that you're just open to music, and your solo career has kind of um, illustrated that in a mm-hmm. musical kind of way. But I'd, I'd love for you to talk about. You know, you've gotten, you've commissioned a lot of works. You've worked with, you know, everybody from Christian Lindbergh to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a whole range of folks. But talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how you have approached your career as a soloist. Okay. Uh, um, when I was in the Baltimore Symphony, of course, uh, uh, I played, I remember one year, I think I played about 30 recitals in one year mm-hmm. once. You know, that's a lot. Yeah. And now, now I'm lucky to... You know, do a recital every two years or something like that. Not, not really. But uh, no. But I was always, I always wanted to put the bass trombone, especially out there, in that solo way, because um, you know, I just, I had something I had to say, and I wanted to to do it with that kind of sound and a way of playing. And I have to say, going back, just a little bit backward, when I got in the Chicago Symphony and I sat on the stage. And I sat there, and there's Arnold Jacobs sitting right there, <laughs> my teacher. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Frank Chris Fully is right there. Jay, right there. Herseth, right there. You know, it's like Clevenger right in front of my face. It was unbelievable. It was like Philadelphia Orchestra was incredibly great, and then all of a sudden I was sitting there in this, in this uh, world-class um, uh, place that we all dreamed about from the earliest ages of what it would be like to play in the Chicago Symphony. And I have to say, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. You mm. sit there and you just play. Wow. And you yeah. fit in. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's different than any place else, you know. Mm. And, um, um, you know, I've played in other all these other orchestras, and I've played in the Boston Symphony, just subbing. Doug was sick once, and it, and I played, and... and, and Seems to me I've played a couple other places too. I played in the I played a few places, but Chicago is the easiest one to play mm-hmm. in. So at any rate, that's that's um, I wanted to bring bring that down. I just want to make sure because Jake to play with him was incredible. I would sit there and watch him take these huge breaths. I mean, he's a little he didn't have much air, so he would just suck air from his lips. His body would go boom, 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 
and he got the best sound on the tuba that I'd ever heard, you know, and it was just phenomenal. And uh, and there he was. Oh, my God. And so I, it made me really, you know, even try to play better, although in lessons with him, I never felt like that. I played for shit, you know. It's like, you know, because I was always wondering what he was thinking, which was stupid, but I was, I, I, I was just... Um, Rarely did did he uh, did I feel comfortable playing for him. Uh, it was always no no you got he was always the teacher, but really always my friend as well. Because I carried his tube up and down the stairs. I had music blown up for him and all kinds of stuff like that. I remember this is just uh, I remember a lesson was with him once was a lot of lessons I had with him were, were on the tenor and alto trombone. I was just working on that aspect of my playing. And um, I remember playing Sentimental Over You once in a lesson. And uh, there were two things. Um, one of them was with Kleinhammer. That's the quote I'm going to tell you. And the other one was with Ed, uh, with, 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 Ed, with Jake. Some of these, like, beat F-sharp, slurs weren't weren't as good and I would screw them up every time. There was always something right there towards the end where be it F sharp, be something could have been smoother. And he looked at me and said, you play the opening of that incredibly beautifully. Why can't you play those those little things? (laughs) Why can't you keep the concentration up? Right, right. (laughs) So every time I play it now, which I played that a lot in front of I played it for funerals. I played it for all kinds of different different things, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I played it on encores after Chickabone. Uh, I played it a bunch of times, and every time I get to that part, I really con- I think about what he said, and 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 Ed was so nice. Once I played it for him, and he said, "Tommy wishes he could have done it that good or something like that." <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, I mean, awesome. I'm going, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I mean, it was just his opinion at the time. Anyhow, um, so as far as the the solo stuff uh, goes, uh, I would always play recitals, and I'd always go to these big conventions. And it's funny now, you know, the older you get, um, it's the 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 political part of these conventions changes. There was a part there where it was. new stars and then it was a part where it was college teachers and then it's changed around a lot you know and it's, it's how much how much ass you kiss yeah, or you know yeah yeah i mean they're nice guys and i i love i love them, I love them. but uh, but it was a fantastic place to go and play the bass trombone especially that in front of all these people and that have never heard that kind of sound necessarily mm-hmm. so so that that was, uh, and I always, you know, I had played a bunch of uh, standard solos on the tenor trombone and stuff with bands and a couple with orchestras earlier on. Um, and then, but the bass trombone just didn't have the music, you know. It's It's been, it's been maddening. Uh, so I'd play pieces. I remember John Swallow walking, uh, walking off stage. I walked off stage after playing the Spillman bass trombone concerto which is not a great piece, 
but it's great for your playing mm-hmm. for a bass trombone because it's it doesn't go any above a half above the staff <laughs> and goes down to pedal C. You know, if you do the things you want to do, and all this stuff, it was just, it's really exceptionally fine for you for playing. Kind of like uh, Eric Wazen's music is is wonderful for your chops. It's a it's just. It's because he's a he, he, when he sings, he sings in that baritone voice range, you know, when he composes, mm-hmm. and and so much of it goes into the uh, into that lower partial, the one below, and right in the middle register that, mm-hmm. that most tenor trombone players have difficulty with. <laughs> but this is why I'm on their case all the time. Okay, but uh, uh, so so uh, these these pieces there were not very many. So John, as I walked off, said. When are you going to find something that's really a great piece of music? You know, why waste your time with this? And I said, well, John, it's like, give me something else. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so there hasn't been, Ellen Swillick wrote me a concerto. Uh, Frank Siegman wrote me a concerto. And Christian Lindbergh wrote this incredible piece that I play. I've played it 24 times now. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, incredible. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I know. It's and an I, awesome I, I, I plan to... I plan to play the keep on playing it. I've got a uh, wind ensemble arrangement of it, and I've got a brass band arrangement. I'd love to oh, wow. play that. I played it once in the brass band. It's Chickabone Checkout. Uh, it's, it's by Christian Lindbergh for alto, tenor, and bass trombone, and switching back and forth. And so that what he did for me on this piece is uh, gives me an opportunity to do so much of the things that I can do. But never get a chance to do, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, like like to play like to play Schumann, to play Rhenish. I played it once in my life on the alto trombone. It's fantastic. It's easier than playing the bass trombone part, but that's another story. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take any air. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, no, but uh, so but Christian wrote these things. It was so funny uh, the way he wrote it. Uh, he said, uh, you know, I told him, I said. Wow, would you consider writing me a, a bass trombone, a, a bass trombone concerto? You know, it's just, you know, we need something on the bass trombone. There's not anything great that I've found that I can play yet. You know, there's a Schneider. There's some. There are some good pieces, but I they have. I just haven't. Um, I haven't experienced them yet. There mm-hmm. are some, but I don't think there's anything great yet. But anyhow, he said, and I said. You know, maybe, and I showed him uh, all the things I'd like, you know, at least things to put in there if you could and things to avoid, mm-hmm. you know. So we spent a lot of time later on, you know, videotaping me playing all the instruments. But but while we were in that first conversation, and, you know, while you're at it, maybe throw in something on the alto trombone, really <laughs> high and soft and some beautiful thing. and and oh, he's, and and then and, and you know maybe on the tenor uh, a ballad or something, and some really low notes, loud notes on the tenor trombone that is going to kind of limit the, who can play it. You know? yeah. also, I was just going to say we've narrowed it down to one person who can play this now. <laughs> no, no, that, yeah, that's another story. But uh, so at any rate, we and next thing I knew over since two thousand three, two thousand six. In those three years, 
he would send me little bits and pieces and, you know, have me choose this and that and the other. And finally, um, the thing that was phenomenal, and this is one of the coolest things, is the way he wrote it. He would say, what's your favorite note to play loud on the bass trombone? And we're filming and stuff. And I said, well, low C, you know. And, you know. and I said, I can play it for two beats really loud. Mm. Or uh, let's say pedal F or pedal D. Got one beat, Christian. You don't write it for a whole note with three Fs under it. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So when you write these things, that's it. That's all you got. <laughs> so he wrote everything custom for for me in, 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 as far as the, the notes that took a lot of air and the loud things. And the soft things... I told him what registers sounds great in the bass trombone and just, you know, that middle, low register. And then he said, what's your favorite note on the, on the, um, what's your favorite notes on the tenor trombone? What place do you call, he said, it, he called it the cantilena. I'm not sure, just a singing register. Hmm. And I said, you know, um, maybe uh, up to C sharp or E flat or something like that, just in, in that octave, soft and smooth, that's fine. You can go higher than that if you want. But And then the alto trombone, I said, you can put most anything you want in there. I mean, you know, he was talking about loud playing. I said, well, you know, I can play, I can play those notes, but maybe don't go any higher than high F sharp, you know. I can play high G maybe if I have to, and I've done it. But I said, you know, keep it, and he put several F sharps in there. <laughs> And some really high notes on the alto, some really incredibly fun things to play on the tenor trombone, ballads, and the bass trombone is like the vehicle, is the impetus, is the it's this meat of the whole piece. Mm-hmm. You know, there 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 are people that can play all three instruments, right? And uh, you know, there there's some that can actually maybe even play, go through the piece and possibly play one after another like that. It's the level of how they play the bass trombone is, is the real key thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, a, lot of, a lot of trombone players can play the tenor trombone stuff nowadays, even with pedal F really loud and stuff like that, low Ds and stuff. But uh, in the alto trombone, there are a lot of people that can probably play that. Um, but to play the bass trombone the way it should be played and to put them all together. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Now, the reason it works so well for me, and I it's and it might not work well for other people, in that he wrote he wrote these he never took me, in other words, start off with this screaming alto trombone stuff. Stop, stop. Next note I play, pick up the bass trombone, play a pedal C. Two or three of those, mm-hmm. some low notes, just a nice little melody thing. Low, put it down. Pick up the tenor trombone. Ba da dee da. Not this, not C, but starting on a C. So it's it started like up in here in this register. Then it went way here. Then the piece started right there. It didn't start in the register like uh, that middle register on the tenor trombone. It started up higher. Mm. So it enabled me. I have a, you know. On, on, on the alto trombone and the tenor trombone up high, I put more top lip in the mouthpiece, and it's always been kind of a natural thing to do. 
when I play in the tenor trombone in the middle register, it's, it takes more work for me to do that. It's closer, like the bass is so big that that just lays right in there. And the alto, I, I can play it to a certain point down there, and I, if I have to change around, I can do it, and it's, it's easier. The tenor trombone sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have to say that yeah, right out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I prepare, and I've played this 25 times, 24 times, I practice the tenor trombone more than any of the other instruments to get ready for this, and there's much more to play on the bass and the alto than the tenor. The tenor's got one, like two movements that kind of go inside, but they are in and out of this, this, this kind of um, middle register, and... To start off in a place that's high on it, it was fantastic. And then it's all this ballad stuff. And then you got to go, boom, all this kind of middle low stuff. It takes me more time. It's because the mouthpiece is, is um, just smaller. And I have to work, I have to practice, I have to, I don't know, I have to practice it more, hmm. which I didn't intend to, for this to happen. <laughs> Christian, it's not part of the deal. He screwed that up. But then you play that for a while, and then all of a sudden, bass trombone's like, oh, God, that feels so good. And then play that for a long time. And this is the interesting thing. You're playing all this crazy shit, all this low stuff, fast, low. All of a sudden, there's this really, it's called Morning with Orange Juice, and it's a beautiful muted brass chord and strings come in all of a sudden on this... uh, F, let's see. What do I come in on? Come in, uh, A. Come in on high A. Up to a D. And it's like a, uh, it's the third, what's the third of the chord? If that's an A, it's an F7 chord, okay? So it's a beautiful chord coming on. And pick up the alto trombone, put it right in that spot, and play that A. It's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's because of all that other stuff here, and then all of a sudden, fresh meat. Mm. Okay, so I play this, and and then in the middle of that, it gets really it gets hard because it's high, and it gets loud and stuff. But it, but it's okay. Then I put it down, play bass trombone again. Turn the page. Trombones are walking behind me. They're playing all this stuff. We do a trio, and I turn the page, pick up the alto trombone. And play by the line, and then I'm thinking, "Holy shit!" Now it's beginning. I'm getting beginning to get tired. That's 20 minutes into it, but it was masterfully crafted for my mouth mm-hmm. by Christian Lindbergh. Wow, it's unbelievable. Helen Swillick, Ellen Swillick didn't. It wasn't masterful. It was just. It was hard, and it was just all the thing. It takes much more practice and energy for me to play that piece than it does. For the Christians' piece, which people would never believe that right, in, right. in their in their wildest dreams. Yeah, well, with all that insight, I see exactly what, what you're saying. <laughs> you know, you know? I, I I do have to add that um, I can't remember which ITA I heard you at, but when you played, you did a recital and you played bass, trombone, alto, and tenor on consecutive pieces. Yes, that was. And I, it just blew. It still blows my mind. I mean, this just and and if I heard one of those pieces individually, I would say, well, the guy's an alto trombone player. Yeah. But meanwhile, it's oh, Charlie Burns. So it's, well, it's, it's uh, that's, that's we should nice. all look out for that piece because that sounds like uh, something really special. Oh, it's, something it's, great for, for it's the great. trombone repertoire. Oh, uh, yeah. And I've been fortunate enough to play it enough to where uh, 
I played with the Navy Band the last few times, uh, and and played at Monterey Symphony. I've played in just different places, and and it blows everybody away. And I wear this zoot suit. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the. Oh photo. man, it's great! And so I rented that, and then when I showed them a picture of the New York Times of me in it to the people who I rented it, they said, "Okay, yours." Yeah. <laughs> So I've I've had it altered a little bit, and it, it's fantastic. My wife won't let me wear anything else. I, I thought about getting a black one, but it it's it's perfect, you know. So, but that's you know that's an unusual. I just wish that somebody um, would it, somebody would 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 maybe be interested in writing something else like that for me to play in that combination. Mm. Um, are you familiar with? With Bruce Oppermont. I'm not. No, no. He wrote this concerto called Colors. Okay. And the Dimage concerto, uh, it's called uh, uh, Rare, Medium, and Well Done. Or something. It's a big tenor trombone concerto. Um, some composer like that could possibly write something that would be incredibly wonderful to listen to and a great piece, but I'm not sure if anybody could write it uh, with the same concern for who they're writing for, yeah, like Christian yeah, did. Yeah, he's a he's unbelievable. A, that oh, guy, course, that guy yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, no, great composer, great conductor, great conductor yeah, and yeah. a great player. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. It's an amazing. It is ridiculous how he is. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> He's a, oh, well, shit. Charlie, yeah. as, as, as we kind of wind down today, I, I wanted to combine these two uh, topics into one. Um, okay. Oh, I think you know you've kind of talked about the the, uh, the importance and the, from your mentors, Jake mm-hmm. and, and Kleinhammer, and and I'm sure that's uh, uh, become a big part of your style as an as a teacher. You're you're uh, in addition to all the things you've done as a player, you're also world renowned as a teacher. What? Maybe you could share your approach to teaching, and then and then the second part of it would be, um, what what do you offer to young people today that are out there saying, "I want to be the next Charlie Vernon," and, and, and you know, especially with the the competition level now is just so intense, trying to get mm-hmm. in any orchestra, oh, let alone the Chicago Symphony. Man. But what kind of combine those two thoughts if you can, um, uh, as far as education and, and your students, and then and then. You know, how do you guide them to to that? Hopefully, getting to that end result. Yeah, well, I, I, um, as far as teaching goes, um, how can I put it? My my huge the the most um, edit that <laughs> the most important thing uh, as far as I'm concerned in teaching and playing is first of all getting a great sound and getting one sound that goes to another sound without any crap in between the sounds mm. that's huge mm. it's called lipsler <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, I, I love your stuff that you've written out like that because that's all that is and it's mm. it's fantastic well, thank you it really is great and Thanks, and Charlie. certain people have, have, have put stuff out there Brad Edwards, for instance, fantastic books about slurring. It's not so much, and, and, and he, of course he talks about it too, and you talk about it on yours as well, but the actual, the physical part of just doing all these lip slurs and all these different keys and stuff and playing melodies where you don't tongue anything except the first note after a breath is phenomenal. And that's the way that I've always taught 
and that's the way that I always um, play myself. Uh, I'll never forget a lesson with uh, with uh, John Swallow coming on the bass trombone, and I'm playing a Vivaldi bassoon concerto or something like this, you know, <laughs> like an adagio or something. He said, okay, that sounds pretty good. Now uh, you can't play anything in first or second position. Uh, okay. And so it, that from that moment on was a learning thing that I always do now. Whenever, and he always would say, if it's a half step, if it's if it's a half step, I usually tongue it. Mm -hmm. But if it's a whole step, I'm gonna slur it somewhere. Mm. And he said, you know, like a B flat and fifth is like a different note, uh, like a like a you know on a string, it'd be this one instead of an open note. And he said, sure, it's a little bit different quality of sound, um, and there is a little bit of difference. But on in certain ways, certain places. Uh, out front, nobody can tell the difference uh, in a recital or something like that. But the main reason he wanted you to do it was to have uh, your lips singing from note to note with with no tongue in there. So it would be this constant buzz with your lips. And so my huge thing nowadays, and it's always been this way, but I've I've finally been able to... <laughs> I'd go to these master classes, these big clinics, and these conventions, and in my twenties, just foaming at the mouth about this and that and the other, and I'd be over here, and I'd remember. So I've, I've really done pretty good at, at pulling it together, and I've come up with this this idea, and it all it is 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 um, get a great sound on the trombone in your mind, and at the moment that you play, you sing that sound. That's the first thing. The other thing is that you can't get a sound on the trombone that's any good unless you take a full breath, unless there's unless there's a flow of air underneath it. So you got this sound going in your head, and you got this this air that's underneath the sound. And then the next thing is is the rhythm, because the rhythm shows you when to do stuff. Mm -hmm. It shows you when to move your lips in a lip slurp. Okay, and you know this, but you know, it shows you when to move your lips because you're always in a lip slur. You're buzzing the the note, and you buzz right down to the pitch, and it goes right in time. The uh, the tongue, when you do have to tongue, goes in time with the buzz. So you got two things going: buzz and lip tongue when you're tonguing. And the one that's the most pain in the ass that people screw up the most is the slide. Mm -hmm. The slide's got to go in time. It doesn't go like that, and it doesn't go like this. It goes boom, 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 boom. So all those three things, and this is the fourth one. I did something <laughs> stupid yesterday with that. Anyhow, thumb, or these, these that's, let's say this is number four, or the valves on a trombone, the valve, uh, whatever. They have to go exactly with the rhythm, so the rhythm shows you where to where to play, what to do. The air supports the sound that you're playing, and the tone quality and the the tone quality and the driver of the truck, the musician that's leading all this, is in charge, and that's that's the artistic part of it. Mm. So, in in uh, in my teaching. 
you know, they're, they're those, four, and I'm mainly those three things. And, you know, when you have students and they, you know, they can't do a normal lip slur, just B flat, F, B flat. They can't, you know, it's all over the place. It's because, first of all, air is not going through the notes. And the second of all, the buzz of the note could be better, just an individual buzz on the note. But the next thing is the getting that buzz to go with your lips to chum. Jake would always talk about it like, um, like it's a real fast lip gliss, you know, mm-hmm. but like that. And not a jerk, but really a quick, quick movement with your lips. So, and then if you tongue a note, if you do two notes in a row, you know, like F, F, G, F, G, A flat, da, da, that tongue, da, 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 has got to go exactly in the rhythm, but it's got to match the slur. Mm-hmm. So slurring match, you know, I match the tongue to the slur. And in the early years... Now, John did that too, but in earlier years when, when uh, Remington was there, I some of the people were tonguing a lot, a lot of notes. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure about that. It, and it would broke off into two schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may be, I think generally that's that's the case. And all I've just kind of been in that other school, and I've just always just tried to make it, A, smooth. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, so that... In, in teaching, that to me, if you can make a lip slur, if you can go three notes in a row with a great sound and back with, with no stuff in the, in the middle of the sound in one position, and then if you can move, and then if you have to move the slide in the slur and get that same kind of connection, and then you do that and have to tongue a note in there, if you can do those three things, you can play anything. Mm-hmm. Because the rest of playing, you know, the the, all the all the articulated stuff is, you know, you have a chance then. You know, so many times I have people in, in, come in for lessons and stuff like that, and they they play, you know. Right. Now, it's not written to slur, but it doesn't sound good if, unless you make it really smooth, you know. Right, right. So... Uh, I spend a lot of time, uh, the easy things that people uh, are so um, into are the, the technical part of it. But the, making one slur, one note go to another note without any stuff in the middle is is what I do in my life, and that's mm. my teaching. Mm. So that, that's it that's right there. That's beautiful. That's, it's simple and profound. It's that's simple. The same thing. Yeah. You know, it's great. It's great, great words. Um, in the past three years, I've been doing Taekwondo uh, with my son, who does Taekwondo and Hapkido. He will have a black belt in March and a black belt in Hapkido in June. I'll have my black belt probably within this year sometime. The arts, the art of martial arts is exactly the same thing as playing the trombone. Mm-hmm. It drives me nuts because I know what I, I can see these guys do these flying kicks or see their body move and they have perfect stances. I can see all that. But my body, I'm still a high school trombone player, a high school martial artist, but my mind is right there with them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. So my body is not, 
in the arts, uh, the, the the stances and stuff, it's like a lip slur. It's mm-hmm. the same attention to basic fundamentals, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what it's all about. And that's what it's all about. You know, what in great uh, athletics, in the very beginning, it's about basic fundamentals. And and so I'm wanting my basic fundamentals to be better than they are in this martial art because I want it. And mm-hmm. so I, and people who come to me in, in teaching uh, and playing, and, you know, they want to play the David, mm-hmm. but they can't play his lip slur yet. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, that's, that's it's what, unbelievable. Really, this is me off. I'm too old for this shit. Well, it's really, it's it's really well said and and uh, incredibly good advice. I've always thought as uh, dabbling Kent and I dabbled in golf over our years with the Stones and uh, and but it's it's the same. It's, it's the same. playing golf is the same as a it's brass instrument. It's controlling your mind and the attention to detail and the exactly. fundamentals, just as you uh, the same so, thing. So put so well. Well, so, Charlie, sorry, just as and you were so generous in offering all that. Um, just to kind of come back to it a little bit, if you had to just kind of capsulize that one piece of advice that you would give to to a young player right now, especially somebody who's looking at possibly an orchestral career, if you could just, in a real kind of nutshell, what would you what would you say to them? Um, I'd say, um, I would say, the first thing that in an audition or in any kind of a situation, the very first thing that people are going to hear is the tone quality. Mm. If if you start off with a half-ass sound, it's going to immediately go south. It's just not going to work. Great sound, great sound followed by another great sound. This lip slur thing is is the is the basis of great playing. If you can do that, that means that you can concentrate and focus on what needs to be focused on. And if you can do that, then you can concentrate on the notes and these stupid excerpts <laughs> one at a time until you figure out exactly what you want in your head. And then then it becomes a matter of uh, having the tune really ingrained in your head and playing with as much much conviction and musical conviction as you possibly can and record everything that you that you do and uh, listen back play in front of people um, but basically it's it's what I do all the time in teaching it's it's basically you want to have the best possible boom, the best possible physical mental, approach to playing the trombone and make a, the best possible sound mm. because that's you know when we listen I've listened to one two I would say over 2000 uh, auditions in the Chicago Symphony mm. horn trumpet mm-hmm. especially those and you sit there you know <laughs> on the other side of the screen guys you go oh, fuck okay <laughs> okay there we go yeah concert, oh, concert, uh, yeah on the other side of the screen, <laughs> where's my iPhone? You're sitting there yeah. <laughs> playing, reading, legs crossed, waiting for somebody to come in there and go, bum, 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 you know, waiting for, oh my God. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, and nine, uh, so many, let's say this many people audition, 
that many people come in with 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 passion and conviction and musicality and and they grab your attention and if you grab somebody's attention like that and then play really well and then every now and then there's something screw up the person listening is like oh well, that's okay yeah but if you start off right off the bat with half-ass sound crappy articulation pitch all over the place and no rhythm you're dead yeah, uh, yeah. so those are the things that it boils down to to that now to get a job and actually to maintain in playing we all think about those things those basic things all the time you know it's got to be in the right rhythm it's got to have the best sound and it's got to be in tune my god you know mm-hmm. so it's there's a i would say that would that would be about yeah it. i think it's <laughs> <laughs> it will keep you busy for a while. Yeah. But, no, it's, Rest it's, your it's, life. All kidding aside, that's really uh, really great advice, Charlie. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say uh, thank you one more time for coming down today. I know you finished your rehearsal. Oh, you were great. kind enough to come down, and then you're headed right back up to Carnegie tonight. So uh, thank you for that. And, you know, you said something at the beginning of the interview how uh, – You'd like a do-over. In your, oh, in the, my God. But you know what? I, I have to say that I, I think you, you, you've done so much for the bass from Bowen, so much for music, so much for orchestras around the world and what you're doing with Chicago. I think there's no reason for you to do, have a do-over. Oh. You've done such an amazing uh, yeah. work uh, in your life as a musician and as a bass trombonist and tenor trombonist and alto trombonist. So thank you for everything you've done. Thanks my for uh, taking time out thank today. You. And uh, we will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick. Thank you.